You can always tell the sign of someone who's truly anointed to preach. The moment their hand grasps a microphone, sweat comes out. If you sweat when you grab a mic, you're anointed. Well, I just wanted to make this comment about clapping. It is a sign of victory. It's not just a sign. Of, it's not just saying, Lord, you're just wonderful. It's not like a tennis clap for Jesus. It is a, it is a sign of victory. Hallelujah. We're clapping unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Who rejoices over his enemies and ours. All right. The youth are dismissed. Praise the Lord. And if you would get your Bible open to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. This morning, there may be an excessive use of Scripture, but the message will be short. You can get the outline simply by um, texting me, or you can uh, email me, nick at nickchamplin.com. Um, and also, to the, um, the outline should be available with the, um, with the MP3 version of the message sometime this afternoon. All right, well, I am in part three of a series called Prayer That Connects. It's so important that we go beyond saying prayers to praying, and we understand truly what prayer is, and that's what this series, Prayer That Connects, is all about. And this morning, I want to preach on the connection of holiness, the connection of holiness. Now, John chapter 16 at the Last Supper, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she is delivered of the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been brought into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. In that day, when no one takes your joy from you, you will ask, nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So <clears throat> Jesus gives very important insight into prayer. He says, when I leave, speaking of his death and resurrection, he said, I'm not going to stay gone. I'm going to return, and you will see me. Now, they probably thought, <clears throat> they would see him with their natural eyes. But in reality, he's talking about the fact that he would come as the Holy Spirit. And living in them, they would see him and that they would know the Father. They would understand the Father. They would receive the Father by receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving Jesus. Um, and that is what Jesus is talking about. So we are living in the day that Jesus prophesied about. And I want you to know that it's perfectly clear through what Jesus taught that during this time when we are separated bodily from the Lord but we're living in this world, that we are to live on something called fullness of joy. The Christian should experience fullness of joy and that joy 
does not come from circumstances, but it comes from prayer that asks and receives so that our joy may be full. So the key to being a Christian, living as an overcomer in this world, is to have a prayer that connects with God where you're asking and receiving. That's God's perfect will, and that is what produces true and lasting joy. Now, sadly, many Christians are not connecting with the Father when they pray, and they're very frustrated in their prayer life. And many of you listening to me right now know what I'm talking about, have had that experience. And so because of that lack of connection and that frustration, and just frankly confusion about prayer, there is a lack of joy, and a lack of joy that contributes to a lack of overcoming. So you can see that everything bases itself on our connection with God through prayer. We need to have that prayer connection that Jesus talked about in John 16. This morning, <coughs> excuse me, I want to talk about holiness and the connection of holiness when it comes to prayer. Over the next several weeks, I want to share with you <clears throat> how to have that successful prayer life where we are connecting with God. So I'm not just going to teach about techniques in prayer, but I want to talk about what it really means to have a relationship with God where, like I shared last week, when the talking stops, the prayer continues. Prayer is more than talking. It is a sh it's the sharing of our nature with God, His nature with us. And so that communion should not ever be broken. We should, as Paul said, pray without ceasing. In Exodus, Moses sees the burning bush as God is calling him. And Moses says, I will turn aside to see this great sight. And so as he approaches God, causing the fire on the bush to burn without consuming the bush, the Bible says in Exodus 3 and 5, Do not come near, God said. Put your shoes off your feet. For the place on which you stand is holy ground. Everyone say it with me. Holy ground. Prayer is not merely talking to God, but it's sharing God's love and purpose with us. It's God sharing his love. It's God sharing his purposes with us. That's what prayer is meant to be. So therefore, if we are going to have God share his love with us, and share his purposes. And prayer is not just talking at God or saying prayers. Then we must approach God in a right spirit. And that's what Moses experienced. He said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. And it was God's will for him to approach. God wanted to share his purpose. And he wanted to share his love with Moses. But the first thing God did as Moses began to draw near, he said to him, Do not come near until you have removed your shoes from your feet. So we're going to talk a little bit about what that meant this morning. But let me just simply reiterate again that if we are going to approach God, if we're going to have that connection, we must approach in a right spirit. Everyone say right spirit. Right spirit, and to, I, wanted, I want to correct the record this morning. In 
properly defining what is a right spirit. Because the devil has gotten into the business of defining what a right spirit is. He has hampered, hindered, and even ruined the prayer lives of many Christians by getting in the religion business and defining what a right spirit is. And so many Christians not only are not having a fruitful and fulfilling and joy-filled communion with the Father, their prayer life is hell. It's, it's the worst thing in their life that they participate in, and they're so frustrated because they know it's the most important thing. It's the thing they hate the most. And they don't know why they avoid it, but they do avoid it. And um, I can see by the nods that some of you know what I'm talking about. So the devil has gotten into the religion business with regard to prayer. And he's, he knows that we cannot approach God unless we have a right spirit. And so he tries to define for us what a right spirit is. And I want to set the record straight and push him out of your prayer closet this morning and help you to understand truly what a right spirit is. But that right spirit is what we call holiness. Holiness is the right spirit in which we approach the Father. First, let's define the word holy. The word holy simply means sacred. In fact, in the original Hebrew text, it means to cut or to cut out. And what it's talking about is cutting out or separating from the profane what is dedicated to God. And so literally, to be holy is to be cut away from or separated from what is profane and given to God. So you're not holy just because you have separated from sin or you have separated from certain worldly practices. Until you are separated unto God, you're really not holy. Because holiness literally is standing in Christ on common ground with God. Think about it and picture yourself as Moses. Don't come near until you have removed your shoes from your feet. For the ground whereon you stand is holy ground. So, prayer is standing on common ground with God. Isn't that an amazing thought? There's something about that that excites me because I know that it's far more than talking to God. If prayer is just talking to God, you could talk to God and never stand on common ground with him where he is sharing his love and his purposes with you. But let me say to you that you cannot have an effective connection with God. You cannot share his love and purposes without approaching him in a right spirit on holy ground. The Lord didn't text his message to Moses. He brought Moses to his presence and then talked with him about what he wanted to do. And they did more than talk, didn't they? God imparted to Moses. God's power went into the rod that his, his walking stick. God gave him instruction. God transformed his heart and his attitude. And by the time their session was over with, Moses didn't leave the presence of the burning bush alone. He and God walked away from that burning bush together. That's prayer. Can you say praise the Lord? 
Let me say a phrase to you, and then we'll probably, throughout this message, say things that will help to add some girth and some weight to this phrase. But please jot this down if you're taking notes. This is so important. Holiness, if we're defining it, holiness is God sharing his nature with you. Holiness is not you trying to impress God with your behavior, with your do's and your don'ts, with what you participate in and with what you avoid. But holiness is God sharing his nature with you. You cannot make yourself holy. Remember that holiness for Moses was what he took off, not what he brought to God, except for his own heart. So when you think about that right spirit and what that right spirit is, I want you to think about Jesus as the elevator of holiness. Think of the elevator that you take to the top floor and that you can ride again back down to the ground floor. And so Jesus, as the elevator of holiness, descends into human nature so that he could impart divine nature to us while he was down here in the flesh, sacrificing his life for our sins, so that when he ascended back to glory, he takes you with him. He is the elevator of holiness. He comes down into humanity, and then he raises humanity back up into the presence of God. That elevator is not possible with humans, but with Jesus, all things are possible. And so he's the elevator of holiness, hallelujah, and he takes us back to the Father with him. So again, that phrase is, holiness is God sharing his nature with you. Let me talk about a phrase you're going to find in the Bible in a couple places, and I'll quote one of them. It's in Psalm 29, 2. And that phrase is the beauty of holiness. How many of you have ever heard that term? The beauty of holiness. Here's where it comes from. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Think about that for a moment. God demands that you give to the Lord the glory due his name. Now think with me. It's, he's not saying, I want you to be perfect and then give yourself to me. And, and that's going to be acceptable. Because the fact is, as sinners, we're all broken. And when we offer ourselves to God as the offering that we expect him to accept, we are being self-righteous. That's unacceptable. So the Bible says, give to the Lord the glory due his name. So when I come before the Lord, I don't offer Nick to God. I offer Jesus to God. The glory due his name is the glory that came down from heaven, of which the angel sung, rejoice, O heavens, and be glad. Hallelujah. Rejoice, joy to the world. Because Emmanuel, God with us, has come. The glory of God that came in Jesus lives in me. That's why I can offer him. I don't have to offer myself. When I offer Jesus, I'm offering 
up myself to the Lord in Christ. So give to the Lord the glory due his name. By the way, just to clear up some confusion because I saw some wrinkled brows. When I said, I don't offer, Nick, you're not offering yourself. You think, well, aren't we supposed to offer ourselves? When it comes to obedience, you give yourself to God in your act of obedience to do what he tells you to do. But you're not offering yourself to God as the ground upon which he should accept you. Because the Lord does not accept the flesh or the carnality of the life of any individual. That's why Jesus came to make you acceptable. It was Jesus who offered himself up and the Father was well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So when we receive Christ, that's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. So how can I offer the Lord a dead man? I offer to God a living man, Jesus. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead and my life is hid with Christ in God. So having a right spirit of holiness is far more attractive to the Father than our religious correctness because it's the nature of Jesus that we're offering up, that we're coming to him in the nature of Jesus and not coming in our own sanctimony. And the devil, I told you earlier, has gotten into the religion business. And he has twisted in people's mind what holiness is so that they work at producing sanctimony rather than relying on Jesus. Sanctimony is trying to make yourself acceptable to God through your own works. Now, lest you should think that I'm preaching against good works, because I'm not. If, you're, if you have a right spirit, your behavior will manifest that right spirit. Because your behavior, your words, and your actions are an extension of your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, as James said in James chapter 2, you show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith through my works. Everything you do in your action and in your words is a reflection of what's in your heart. That's why we cringe when we do something sinful or stupid or dumb or carnal, because we think, oh, no, I don't want that to be me, but it did come out of somewhere. I can't deny it. That something produced that foul expression or that fear or that anger or whatever it was that expressed that lack of forgiveness or that lust or whatever it was. And so we, the reason we cringe is we're concerned because we know that those actions come out of something inside of us. And that is why, from our heart, we need to have a prayer that never stops. A, re, a, a relationship with the Lord where we're constantly putting on the altar, keeping self on the altar and saying, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your mercy and grace. We're constantly keeping ourselves in that elevator of fellowship with God. And he's constantly bringing us up into the presence of the Father. Amen? So... It's far more attractive to God that we 
depend upon Jesus and that we take him as our holiness. And so the Bible says, give to the Lord the glory due his name and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And uh, one of the other phrases, one of the other ways that phrase is uh, translated is worship the Lord in holy array or holy attire. And so um, oftentimes you'll see priests and in the Old Testament, the priests would wear all these particular special garments and their sacerdotal garb was all um, significant and representative of different things. But in the New Testament, uh, we don't put that much emphasis on all of those outward symbolisms. But hold on to that thought for the end of the message because I do have a comment to make about the outward expression of holiness lest we completely discard it as being irrelevant. And let me just say to you that the beauty of holiness or being worshiping the Lord in holy array, God wants us to have in our mind the idea that holiness is something that makes us attractive. So in the Old Testament, they would put on those holy garments to, to symbolize being attractive to the Lord. In the New Testament, we put on Christ. And, and Jesus makes us attractive to the Father. When you pray and you come before the Lord and say, Father, I worship you, hallowed be your name. Jesus, your name to me is redemption. Your name speaks of love. Your name reminds me that you are my shepherd who led me out of sin and darkness. And you are before me today preparing a table in the presence of my enemies. And you begin to cling to Jesus and remind yourself and fill your mind with thoughts about who he is. And you're speaking those things back to the Father. You are putting on holy garments. You are covering, your thoughts cover you. Your thoughts represent you. When you walk into the room, it's the things that you are speaking out of your mouth from your heart that present you. You are making the presentation. And so Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is that putting on of holiness. Lord, I come hallowing your name, not my name, but your name, Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, But as the one who has called you is holy, you yourselves also be holy in all of your conduct and manner of living. For it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So if we're going to take our shoes off and step onto holy ground, that's not just when we jump into our prayer closet. That's when we live. We walk on holy ground all the time because we don't ever want to leave the presence of the Lord. Is that not right? So standing in Jesus makes us beautiful to the Father. We worship in the beauty of holiness. In Hebrews chapter 12 and 14, it says, Strive to live in peace with everybody and pursue that consecration and holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. Listen very carefully to this phrase. Strive to live in peace with everyone and joins the thought of not getting into strife, not getting tangled up in the strife of the world, but living as children, as disciples of the Prince of Peace. Strive to live in peace with everybody and he connects it with 
and pursue holiness, without which no one will ever see the Lord. So let me say to you that God who is love, God who is agape, the love of God, the Bible says God is love. God who is love reveals himself through the beauty of holiness. Here in Hebrews it says, without holiness you cannot see God. If Moses had not removed the shoes from his feet, God would have not had a conversation with him. There would have been no conversation. There would have been no Moses going down into Egypt or the deliverance or all those wonderful things that happened in the book of Exodus and on. And so without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. If we don't learn to live in a right spirit and to walk in holiness, we can carry a Bible, but we'll never really see the Lord. We'll never really understand him. The Lord makes himself known. He reveals himself. He steps forward so that you can truly see him when you walk in holiness. Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Now, let me bring a second meaning out for you. It says here, and pursue holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. He's saying to you and I as believers, pursue holiness because if you don't, no one out there will ever see the Lord. You get what I'm saying? It's when you walk in holiness. Now, what is holiness? Is, re is letting the Father share His nature with you. It's not you being religious it's you allowing Jesus to be Christ, to be Lord of your life. When you love him, when you make mistakes and you love him, praise the Lord, when you do the right thing. And, and so it is that dependence upon him. It's living in him. Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Nobody will ever get saved if a Christian doesn't walk in holiness because they won't see God. They can't see God just because you preach out of the Bible. They can't see God just because someone says, this is the truth, you need to believe it. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. People need to see the Lord. And without holiness, the church today needs to, we always say this, and I'm always a little nervous when people say, we need to get back to holiness. But sometimes, and, and I'm sure nobody who says this and is conveying the wrong message, is actually intending to do it. They think they're doing the right thing. But sometimes when people say, we need to get back to holiness, they don't realize they're actually evangelists for the devil. Because their idea of holiness is to make people dependent upon their own works of righteousness. Should they do those works of righteousness? Absolutely. But to make them dependent on, I've got to do this and I've got to do that, breeds fear, takes love away, and separates people from God. And so the enemy pushes that fake holiness. Instead of people receiving the love of God and then just naturally, through their actions, responding to that love, which is holiness, instead they are trying too hard to do the right thing rather than embracing Jesus and just praying and, and having communion with him. So without holiness, no one sees the Lord. 
But the truth is, the church does need to get back to holiness. When people say, we need to get back to holiness, I wouldn't say it like this. I would say it like this, you know, we need to get back to holiness. We really do need, because if we want a revival to break out, they're not going to see Jesus if we don't. If we don't rediscover holiness, all of our evangelism is going to just simply produce no fruit because no one's going to see Jesus if we're not walking in holiness. So we have got to get this message. This is not an optional message. This is not a message you add to a Christian to make him a super Christian. This is not a message that's optional so that young Christians or moderate Christians can become super spiritual or very mature Christians. This is for every believer. We do need to understand holiness. Somebody say praise the Lord. Let me finish up by talking for a few minutes about reverence, and then we're going to open these altars for prayer. Back to our original verse in Exodus, God said, do not come near. Put your shoes off of your feet first, for the place wherein you stand is holy ground. I want you to Focus in on the fact that God said, take off your shoes. God said that. That was not Moses' idea. Moses didn't say, oh my goodness, this is God. Um, I better do something holy. Let's see, I'll take off my shoes as an act of reverence. It was God who instructed Moses to remove his shoes. It was God's idea. Now, years ago, Many years ago, think back if some of you have been Christians, or many of you, even before you were saved, were still raised in your parents' or maybe grandparents' church, or you'd been to churches, and maybe some of you that are older might remember back 30, 40, even more years ago, Christians used to maintain certain practices that expressed reverence in connection with prayer, and it was very common whether you were in Catholic or Protestant churches, you would see certain practices. Kneeling before you'd enter. Uh, if you went to a high Episcopalian church or Catholic church, you'd come in and you kneel at the, um, in the aisle just before you entered the, the area of the pew. You know, you'd see all these different things that people would do, cross themselves. And you'd go into Pentecostal churches. There were certain things that people did. When it came to prayer, people would go right down on their face or they'd kneel. And all these gestures, you don't see a lot of that today. Most of that... Um, in many churches and with many Christians, has just simply vanished. It's simply gone away. And admittedly, a number of those old traditional expressions of reverence may have been legalistic or may have been imposed on people um, simply as a form of legalistic uh, outward symbols without any heart connection. But the truth is that most of those gestures of reverence were genuine, sincere actions through which we showed our respect for God. Now, the problem is today that many Christians dismiss these outward displays. Today, it is very popular to look at anything like that and say, you know what, that is so last century, that is so old, that's so traditional, get with it, man. And 
the argument against outward signs of reverence is all made on the strength of one word, unnecessary. I don't have to do that to prove my love for God. How many times have you said it or heard people say, I don't have to do that. God knows my heart. I don't have to say that. God knows my heart. I don't have to bend my knee. I don't have to bow. I don't have to raise my hands. I don't have to lift my voice. I don't need to do any of those things. God knows my heart. We argue away all of those expressions of reverence by saying it's unnecessary because God knows my heart. You see, we have lost what holiness is all about. We argue that we don't need to do anything because God knows my heart as though the only thing that matters in our relationship with God is that God is God and knows where I'm at. But holiness is not about what God knows. It's about how you act and behave and where your heart is really at. Holiness is about you. It's not about God. And so people dismiss all these things by saying, I don't need to do that. God knows me. But go back to Moses and his shoes. God told Moses to remove his shoes for Moses' benefit, not because God didn't like shoes or not because God had a foot fetish or some inexplicable religious quirkiness about God. People just think, oh, well, God's just weird. He's just into this stuff. I don't know why. But the reality is that it was for Moses' benefit. Go back to Jesus at the Last Supper. God said, you are clean. You're holy. You're clean through the word that I have spoken to you. And he washed the disciples' feet. When he comes to Peter, Peter says, I don't want you washing my feet. Because he didn't understand the gesture. And so Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. So Peter said, oh, well, then wash my head. Shampoo my hair while you're at it. Wash everything. Jesus said, you don't need me to wash. You're clean already. You just need to wash your feet. So back to Moses at the burning bush. Moses is at the burning bush. God says, remove the shoes from your feet because I want you to lay aside all of your self-protection. You wear these shoes because in life you need to protect your tender feet from contact with the hard and harsh paths and road of life. And I, you don't need that when you come into my presence. You don't need to protect yourself from anything. You don't need to guard yourself in my presence. In fact, you need to expose yourself. You need to expose everything about yourself. You need to put yourself completely before God in all absolute, tender, at-risk honesty before God and not fear a single thing because God is love. And nothing he will ever say or do when you are in his presence will ever be bad for you. It'll always be good. So take off your shoes. This is holy ground. He was saying, you're stepping onto the ground of love. You're stepping onto the ground of perfect love.
And so you don't need to protect yourself. In fact, you need to get your feet into the ground of love. You need direct contact with the love of God. Stop going and holding yourself back. Get rid of all of your self-protections. Take them off. Put them aside and come before the Father and know that anything he tells you to do, anything his word tells you to do, will be good for you. And so holiness, holiness, that's right, holiness is all about you removing everything between you and God that might keep a filter over your life. Be unfiltered before the Lord. So let's, how does this deal with reverence? If people are ignorant of this, they'll think that God just wants you to do silly things like take your shoes off or remove your hat or women used to not cut their hair because the Bible talked about women not cutting their hair. And they did all these things. They had no, no knowledge of why they were doing it. And so the modern generation, the Christian of the modern generation says, all that stuff is worth, that's stupid, that's worthless, that's unnecessary. God knows my heart as though God knowing your heart is the only thing that's important. Yeah, but that, he can know that heart and that heart will never change. <laughs> yes, he knows that heart, he knows everything about it, but holiness is about you changing and being transformed. So let me say something about these displays of reverence and how important they are. Peeling away all of the manifestations of reverence in order to get to the heart of God. People say today, you know what? We need to free ourselves from all these encumbrances, this kneeling, this laying, this singing. I don't need to do that. It's, you know, I'm really not that kind of person anyway. I find it very difficult, you know, to, to sing out loud in church or whatever. Um, any of those things. I don't need to do it. God knows my heart. And so freeing ourselves from these encumbrances, these forms of reverence, these acts of reverence, we do it because we think that's the way I'm going to get to the heart of God. I'm being real. Being real with God. You're listening to me. Being real. I'm not going to do all this stuff. We don't need to do all that stuff. So peeling away all of these impositions, these outward displays of reverence, is like peeling the layers of an onion to get to its core. Has no one here ever cooked and used onion? Can anyone bring in next week a core of an onion and show it to me? Because I'd really like to see it. An onion is just a ball of peels. By the time you have peeled all the layers off of an onion, poof, the onion's gone. And you realize, my goodness, the core of the onion was its layers. And by the time you are done peeling away all these outer expressions of reverence, you realize that once you've peeled the last one away and discarded it, you've discarded reverence. You are now, congratulations, irreverent. You've made yourself unholy and irreverent. You see, these outer expressions of holiness are significant because reverence isn't a heart sentiment. 
Reverence is holiness expressing its sentiments through your actions. That's what reverence is. It's holiness talking through you. So kneel when you pray. Lay on your face. When you sing, sing. When you shout, shout. Bow your head. Lift your head. Do the different things that in your heart, your spirit instinctively tells you you ought to do to reverence God. Take the shoes off of your feet. Approach God. Do those things because the more you do things to show your true reverence for God, you are giving your soul actions through which it can express itself. People that just sit and do nothing and think they can commune with God and absolutely never do anything just simply get bogged down and become prisoners of their own minds. Show me somebody who will go into a prayer closet, will kneel down, will stand up, will sing. Somebody who will move themselves, use their tongue, praise God with their whole body, do these things that show reverence, and I'll show you somebody who has found a way to express their soul. The soul is expressed through your actions of reverence. So what is wrong with these displays of reverence? Nothing except when they're done without any heart connection. When they're done just simply as, you know, religious works. But if you love the Lord, get up and run after him. I remember we used to run in church all the time. It was like Sunday morning was Jesus size. And that didn't, how many of you ever, you know, spend any time in old-timey Pentecostal churches? Man, I tell you, I miss that. Hallelujah. Boy, somebody get blessed, get turned on, and they jump up and start running. Running around the church. So what is that fool doing? <laughs> running around the church. And uh, you know what? I'm sure some people got up and ran around the church, and it was just them being religious. But God knows what's really going on. Can you say amen? So James 2.20, going to close with this. Faith apart from works is useless. So removing Moses' shoes is God's idea. It was the heart sentiment being expressed through actions. Now, I'm going to put a chip clip on this and stop this message. The next time I'm in the pulpit, I'm, oh, I'm away next Sunday, um, and um, Jesse is preaching next Sunday. But the week after that, I'm going to come back and we're going to drill down a little bit into this message of holiness with a message entitled Holiness, Love, and Offense. And you are not going to want to miss that because that is going to get down to the marrow of the bone. But this morning, if you'll close your Bible, if you're done writing, maybe click your pen and, and let's stand together. And this morning, our simple response.